What's up, everybody? Welcome to Conversation Piece with Patrick Armstrong. I am the titular Patrick, and this is a show where we talk about the missing pieces of the conversations we're already having. Shout out to all our returning listeners, and a high five and hello to everybody joining us for the very first time. Thank you so much. November is National Adoption Awareness Month. For a long time, adoptive voices have not been centered in the conversations that we have about adoption, and this has led to a one-sided narrative dominated by adoptive parents and adoption agencies. That's been changing over the last few years, the last few decades, and this month we are joining the chorus of adoptee voices who have been sharing their stories by highlighting Asian American adoptees right here in Indiana. Today I am joined by Lauren Reese, a transracial, intercountry Korean adoptee, medical speech pathologist, and knitting ninja, <laughs> self-proclaimed knitting ninja. Lauren, thank you for joining me. Yeah, yeah, Knitter with a capital K. Knitter with a capital K. <laughs> I love that. Um, I would like. I was going to say. I forgot to say this, but I was going to say my good friend oh. Lauren Reese. Is it fair to yeah, say that we are good sure. friends now? For sure. Yeah. 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 Over the last three years, we've been able to connect. For folks that may not know, Lauren and I first connected. I think we were connected on IG. Yes. Uh, while I was starting to share my journey, but. We really started to get to know each other once this Indiana adoptee group formed. Yes. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I tried to hop online and get it going again. <laughs> I think it's like faded in and out here and there. So it's interesting. I was just talking about this with Amy, but we were like, people keep joining and then yeah. it's like, but then there's not necessarily a good welcome wagon for folks. Like when they join, it's like, we need to figure that out. And that's something that we've been having conversations about, but I'm really excited to have you here. Thank I'm really you. excited to have this conversation. Thank you for uh, saying yes to this. Um, for folks who may not know who you are that are listening or watching, do you mind sharing a little bit more about yourself? Okay, I um, like Patrick said, I'm an inner country adoptee from Korea. Uh, I've lived here in the Midwest. I've lived in Indiana. Oh, most of my adulthood probably now. <clears throat> um, I'm a medical speech pathologist. That's my day job. I do a lot of voice and swallowing things in the medical field in the hospital setting and I have three little kids um, I'm in an interracial marriage so there's been a lot to navigate there's been a lot to navigate yeah it's complicated <laughs> so many things have changed <laughs> yeah grown up a lot um the past few years so it's been I'm in this weird moment in time I feel like because I'm about to turn 40 um I'm kind of just past the midpoint in my career. My youngest just started kindergarten. So it's kind of like what's what's coming up next. And then this personal change, I think, too, has driven like what, where do we go from here and how do I align what I'm passionate about, what's driving us, what's important to us. Yeah, going forward. Yeah, I think that I love asking people to just share a little bit more about themselves, especially on the show, because while we don't dive into story, I think it provides good context. And I also think whenever I talk to other adoptees, when we talk about our stories, it highlights the complexities, no matter what it is that we're talking about, especially since we start our journeys and we find ourselves wherever we're at. There's always something that's like 
we're asking these questions. Okay, where do I go from here? Or like, what am I doing now? How am I understanding myself differently or thinking about? So I appreciate you sharing those questions and naming those things. Um, before we jump into this conversation, what drove you towards speech pathology? What was the passion there? Oh, I really didn't know what I wanted to do for a living. Um, I got really good grades and I knew I was going to go to college. I took a lot of those personality tests mm. that you do career match. Um, I was already at Ball State and they did not have an occupational therapy program. So they did have a speech program and the academic advisor said, well, let's just declare it your major. You can change it later if you don't like it. And it just happened to work out that I really liked it. I think I connect with, um, it's all about communication, right? Mm. Um, and how important that is to our quality of life. And then we add on swallowing as well. Food is <laughs> a huge part of our quality of life. But um, I think that is the piece that keeps me going. Sure. Well, I think communication is such a huge thing because as adoptees, I don't know that we learn how to properly communicate when we're growing up and we're not even maybe given permission to communicate some of the things that we're feeling like we're some of those things might be invalidated. Okay. So we learn to internalize and not communicate. So I think that makes a lot of sense. I think there's a lot of alignment there. Yeah, it's interesting, too, that now that um, I've looked more at racial identity and realizing that. Uh, speech pathology is one of the whitest professions in our country. You said whitest or yeah, widest? White. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So it's just interesting. It's in like the top four or five. Interesting. Yes. So um, that's been another piece to what's next. Sure. Oh, like what's like what's navigating? Like, yeah, I mean, Should I continue on this path or find another avenue to or, go down? Or do I use, you know, some some sort of representation or I'm in some DEI spaces now at work. So maybe that's the direction. Sure. We'll see. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think it's, I don't know if this is the right way to phrase this, but it's like, that's almost the, the good struggle a little sure, bit. Yeah. Like something like we obviously all have the things that we have to go through and navigate and, while it can be really difficult, I think, to ask those questions and to find yourself in that discomfort, I think it is a good struggle because like you have maybe reached a certain point where you can even ask that question. And now you're like, okay, is this, can I stay here? And then not only can I stay here, but can I affect change um, as a leader or even just as a person of the global majority? in this space where, like you said, it's like the fourth or fifth whitest uh, occupation yeah. in the country. That's yeah. wild. And I also think, too, you know, we talk a, we're talking about, we talked a little bit before we started this about parenting and myself being getting ready to become a parent. Like, something I've been thinking about a lot is how do I model for my hypothetical future child? <laughs> and, you know, you have three kids of your own, and I think to find yourself in this position, it also is an opportunity to be able to model for them. And I don't necessarily know if this was the crux of our conversation, but what do you think is missing from the conversation around parenting as an adoptee that we don't really talk about very often? Oh, uh, Cam, Cam Lee Small and I had talked about like, there's this mirroring between 
um, adoptive parents, especially white adoptive parents, and us as adoptees as we become adults and become parents. Like we're trying to navigate how to incorporate this culture that doesn't feel like our own mm. um, for our children. And maybe, maybe adoptive parents haven't been ushered into that um, <laughs> <laughs> line of thinking or parenting, but sure. certainly that's something that comes up for us. Um, and I think we we might criticize then our parents or our upbringing to say, you know, what was missing and what can I provide? Um, I had to have this moment where I thought, have I had any positive experiences about being Asian? Mm. You know, even the compliments have felt kind of uh, microaggressive maybe. Sure. Or, or there's just layers in society that make me feel like, well, that's not completely true. So... Really had to dig deep into the racial stuff um, to help with the parenting part. Sure. Is that digging deep part of the mirroring process? I think probably for, I don't know how to separate it because you have to accept some of yourself to start incorporating some of this into your life. Sure. Um, and I think imposter syndrome, we've talked We've all talked about how that comes up a lot. So if you don't reflect, you're going to feel maybe more of that imposter syndrome. Uh, I like listening to all these different people talk because it's like we can make it look however we want it. Sure. And that's what we're trying to do. Yeah. Um, What ways or methods or processes of reflection have really resonated with you? And like, how do you like you said, you know, a lot of people, myself included, we talk about. How do we navigate our journey? And when you look at the wide breadth of experiences, there is no one way. What ways have you found that really resonate that you've either started to incorporate or you like to follow along and practice in your own journey? Ooh, lots of story listening, honestly, um, because you can learn so much from all the different types of stories, the good, the bad, what you want to take from it, what you want to avoid. Um, also, outside of our community, there's so many parenting resources, right? Sure. Um, I think taking care of our own mental health is so important. We can't show up for our kids and our families if we are struggling. So it's all been part of that process. Um, reaching out to community, I think, has been huge. Um, I have some people in my life that I can bounce ideas off of. I'm still kind of seeking that in professional life too. Like who's a person of color or person of a global majority that's kind of been through some of this that I can confide in. So I have that, I think, with some of the parenting stuff. Sure. Um, but yeah, does that help answer some of that? A hundred percent. I mean, then again, there's like a lot of different things. It's not like you just find one particular way and it's like, okay, this is the way I'm going to do it. It's I'm going to do it this way, and I'm going to look at all these other ways that I can do it as well. Right, and it's always changing and evolving, right? Right. So we've, you know, even something like let's go to Asian Fest or Lunar yeah. New Year or something like that, just it's been interesting. It's been interesting to hear the kids and how they notice things. Uh, we went to Korea Festival in Fort Wayne, and my son did say he's seven. He said, a lot of people here look like mommy, you know, and it's just Bringing in multiple messages sure. um, and different layers. Yeah. And then, of course, there's those harder conversations that have to be age appropriate. Sure. Um, but I think we're trying to model some joy and some I, acceptance. I love that. Yeah. 
what we were talking about before, like a lot of our conversations around in the adoptee community specifically can be centered on the traumatic stuff. And that's totally valid because there is a lot of trauma and pain and stuff that goes along with it. And like there is joy to be had and you can uncover it and find it. Um, something I've been talking about, uh, we talked about it at Beta LA for the John Chi show was pride and like the way that pride has evolved for me. And like, oh, I'm not proud of being adopted. I am, I take a lot of pride in being in part of this community and take pride in like claiming that identity as my own and then seeing other folks do these things because not only is it like, oh, I'm an adoptee and like I can do stuff. It's like, look at all the stuff that I'm doing. And like when you talk about celebration, like I think about why aren't we celebrating more often the things that we go out and accomplish that have nothing to do with adoption or even right, like yeah. with any other part of our identity. Um, what, do they, what, what are some things that you find yourself celebrating right now that you're able to then share with your kids as well and like model for them? Uh, I think we're just still trying to learn different holidays. I have a another friend who said um, sometimes it's just as simple as like just taking the day off of work. Like I'm not going to work on Chisak. That's mm. my holiday. Um, so it could be something that simple and just finding joy and like this is a day off. Yeah. <laughs> um, or uh, I think we keep going back and forth with the language. Um, you know, and, and that brings up other layers of <laughs> triggering, probably, uh, that block, that oh, yeah. block. Um, but I do find joy in the approach or excitement that my kids have over these things that I know at that age I was completely rejecting or didn't want anything to do with. Um, my daughter, first time she saw a humbug, she was like, oh, I want one of those. You oh, know? my God, that's amazing. I know, it is amazing. Um, so there's just these little glimmers it's kind of like with parenthood patrick so just get ready you don't right. have to, you don't have to love all parts of it um but just and you don't have to soak it all in but there are those glimmers just those are what you kind of cling and hang on to and what you remember so i'm trying to stay focused on those and they are they're just these tiny little moments yeah. where they say something or um connect with things that we know we didn't have it's always in the little things, right? Like we, we strive for these big moments and the big moments are important um, because they're generally the ones that we will attach to, like will attach themselves to our memories. We'll remember the most. And like the little things that happen, like, like as parents, I'm assuming like that's what we remember. Like the kids will remember the big things that happen. And as parents, I feel like, it's the small places that we are able to find those little bits of joy. Um, you talked about how one of the ways like you can celebrate and, and model that for your kids is through taking a day off work. Like even if it's a holiday or even if it's probably just even a day that you can take it yourself and spend with them. Um, you talked about too having worked in or participated in some DEI spaces as well in your profession. Um, how do you find yourself like connecting and navigating that space um, and then figuring out how do I then marry this with the, the things that I'm trying to do at home? Like, because I think it's super difficult, not only as 
a racialized person or as like an Asian mm -hmm. person, but then like that extra layer, we talking about layers as a, like an adoptee, like trying to figure out how to put all of these pieces together and then take that home. Do, I mean, do you even take it home? Like what, how does that work for you? Um, there's like this balance where, yes, I think we've, and this is again, mirroring with adoptive parents. Like we want to celebrate the child's culture and their humanity and identities, but we also have to be fighting and working against the things that are trying to tear those identities mm. down or break them apart or destroy, you know, whatever it might right. be. So, um, I totally don't judge any, especially a person of color who doesn't want to go and fight that battle because right. whatever, you know, that's your choice. And I think you have that right. Um, but I also think like for myself, what I've experienced for my kids and where we live right now, um, it's a, that's another important piece that we keep trying to normalize these conversations, um, build some stamina to have these conversations. Yeah. Um, and to hopefully change some biases and perspectives. So that's all part of it too. Yeah. Well, go ahead. Well, it's just, it's, it is a hard balance, right? Like yeah. you feel those times where you feel like you're just like pushing, pushing, pushing against the common narrative or the dominant narrative. Um, but you're also trying to find those little pieces of this is just my bubble of what I can control. Right. Um, and what can we start incorporating? Like we have access to YouTube now. We can watch sure. Korean children's shows now. Nothing that. I, we weren't doing in the 80s and 90s. Right. <laughs> so. Definitely not yeah, doing that. Right. Yeah, no. <laughs> waiting on that dial-up connection. Yeah. I didn't, wouldn't even have known those things existed right. at that time. Right. No, you know? and we wouldn't have had any interest, probably. Probably not. I would have been like, I don't understand what's being said here. Yeah. And I'm watch Ninja Turtles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, at that time, too, even as a child, like, already having started to think of myself as white. Like yeah. wouldn't have I've been like that doesn't look like my life right or the life that I want to live so let's yeah let's go watch Ninja Turtles <laughs> or let's go watch so let's go watch Dragon Ball Z which uh -huh. is a uh, <laughs> Japanese anime right <laughs> which you know you think would click things yeah. in my mind but never did never, so yeah yeah um you talking about we we talk a lot about in these conversations in this community and even in this conversation about balance and. I've been recently playing the new Spider-Man 2 video game. <laughs> uh, minor light spoilers uh, for a line of dialogue in that game, but a flashback scene, Aunt May talks about balance. And she said balance is not a destination, it's a process. And you're talking about like the process of like figuring out the balance. And it's like you probably never like... I don't know if it's like you achieve balance. You're just always working towards it. Kind of like perfections. Like you never are. No one's ever going to be perfect, but you can strive to like do better yeah. in the, in the yeah. life that you live, the work that you do. Um, as adoptees continue to evolve as in their own identities individually and as a collective community, how do we address the balance that it takes to, as we become, okay, let me think about how I want to phrase this question. How do we, how do we work towards a balance between our individual natures and our community conversations? Um, 
specifically as it pertains to parenting, because there's going to be some people who are like, I want to be parents. Some people who won't come to consciousness until that happens. Mm -hmm. And there'll be some people who don't go on that journey as well. Is there a way or what do, from your perspective, like how do, how do we work towards that from the adoptee lens? Like, is there a way? Oh, that's hard. I feel like we kind of sometimes separate the two, like where you may not uh, go down the consciousness pathway, but you may still feel passionate about some racial justice issues. Sure. Maybe. So then you're um, maybe more prone to be active in that. Maybe not. Right. Maybe. Um, and then the adoption piece, man, that's we're just all really working hard against uh some big dominant narratives. We talked about like storytelling and how many times adoption is used as a plot device. Right. <laughs> and it's like every, every, it's single, every time. Yes. <laughs> and it's a story told over and over again over yeah. many decades. Right. Yeah. Um, so I don't know how quite yet how we uh, get that other than talking about it. I think getting, I don't know if adoptees that don't come to consciousness would necessarily feel that drive, but like getting in front of our educators, they're with our children most of the mm. week. Um, maybe it's not even for our children, but also maybe other adopted or foster children in the school sure. system too that we're saying, hey, you know, think about your projects that you're doing. Think about the way you word um, your grownups rather than maybe your parents. Right. Things like that. I love that answer, probably because my wife is also an educator. And also because I've been thinking about how do we get into schools and have these conversations um, as a parent, have you found yourself having those conversations with educators? Yes. Okay. Uh, my husband is an educator um, and he teaches at a school that's different than my children's school. And um, it's been difficult. Uh, so uh, I guess I would advise to find some allies for anyone who's trying to work uh, work towards more inclusive spaces and maybe trying to get uh, more people on board. Yeah. Uh, I let my I let my kids teachers know each year they usually ask like what's important to you for your child this year and I usually do say we you know we support any anti-racist efforts mm. um, anti any anti-bias efforts if you ever need backing from parents, we are here for you. And, you know, we, that is always something we want for our kids is I know they're going to get the academics, right? but I want them to have that, uh, confidence, self-confidence, right? Yeah. We know that they belong, that they are loved, that right. they are not weird or abnormal or less than. I like this idea of not only are you advocating and becoming an ally for your child, but you also kind of have to ally yourself with the educator. Yes. Because some educator, and again, like there's the, the line of like where educators sit and stand and move along when it comes to anti-bias, anti-racist, social justice type of work. Um, talking about balance, how do you balance those two? Like, I won't even say opposing forces, but two different groups of people, like your kids and then your educators, like... Is there, does one take priority over the other because you're a parent? Oh, that's so hard. I mean, ultimately I can only control, we can control our, what's happening with our household and the narratives we're providing our kids in our households. 
um, and anything, whether adopted or not, whether a person of color or not, uh, something could be said to you that's going to stick with you that could really tear you down, right? Right. Hopefully that is coming somewhere from the outside world and not coming from inside the house. So I think that Unfortunately, it's going to happen. We're going to try to prevent it or protect them from that happening, but it, it might, and we're going to make sure that we can take care of our own and our four walls. Yeah. Well, it's about being proactive yeah. instead of being reactive, right. you know, and yeah. like setting the, the foundation for being able to hopefully give our kids the tools and the abilities to navigate a situation when it happens. And even if not, like we can then approach the conversation from this place of, of knowledge as opposed to reactivity where it's like we're just we're scrambling to try and maybe not fix but try to explain or understand yeah and the it situation. has to keep going too sure. right like so many times it's addressed and then there's no follow-up or there's no um reevaluation. Mm. could have been better what right what we do next time well and a lot of it is like you've been naming these dominant narratives that we have to push back against and that we've been resisting since not just the 50s when Korean adoption became or when adoption really became industrialized from an inter-country standpoint, but literally the history of this country with the forced separation of indigenous families and children, the forced separation of enslaved African families and children. You know, like there's a long history of familial separation that has been framed as like a we're saving you. You know, we're saving these children from the quote unquote savagery of your original uh, culture or community of origin. And like you said, you know, we see in the media all the time. It's like, oh, there's this one way that we think about adoption. It's all like everything's everything works out fine. Mm-hmm. Or if it doesn't work out in that way specifically, it's like you're a superhero. So you have powers yeah. and you can just fly away. <laughs> and yeah. Like we don't have to deal with it. Um, and as parents, I think that can be really hard to navigate too, because it's so mainstream the way that this is happening. Like, like you said, things outside of our control, like we can't control, like when somebody sees something outside of our house, um, our our kids specifically. Um, and I think that then falls on to, on folks outside of our community to, Maybe not be able to have the conversation, but to be mindful of the types of conversations that they are having, the types of media and things that they show um, to not just our kids, but any kids, any people that they're working with. Um, How do you feel or from your perspective, like what are some ways that folks outside of our community can address this type of thing, particularly with younger kids who may not even be adopted, but specifically have ties or tethers to the adoptee community. And um, yeah, I guess I'll I'll go with that one. I feel, uh, if you haven't picked up on it already, I feel very passionate about (laughs) racial injustice. And I uh, I think I wrote on the guest form, like, it's almost like if we can tackle racism... And when I say racism, systemic, the power differentials, like, um, it should be part of just like basic humanity 101. Sure. (laughs) Um, every, I had a family member talk about different causes and there's so many causes out there. And I thought, you know, every single cause you can think of like cancer or a disease or, um, poverty, housing, whatever it might be, it intersects across 
races. Sure. So can we just get racism down and right, kind of right, figure right. it out and how to empathize with others and see each other's humanity? And then we can all work together to kind of tackle some of these other more specific things, right? Right. So it's such a huge thing to me um, that we all really pay attention to our parts in, in what we're doing with race and racialization in this society. Um, it's everywhere. It's, it's part of politics. It's part of life. Yeah. And I, you know, last week I was interviewing, um, doing peer interviews at work and I just kind of realized like my coworkers have no idea that my day can look very different than their day. And we're Mm. in the same spaces doing very similar things. Um, and we're all compassionate people. We're in rehab, you know, right. we're some of the most compassionate people. So can we um, can we build on some of that compassion when it comes to race, yeah. racism? Yeah. Can you give us an, uh, a generalized overview or anecdote of like how that looks different for you than it would for a coworker? Um, we have had specific traumas related to family separation one. So the adoption piece and then the race piece, we've had racial traumas. So, you know, I can interact with a patient and I can go days or weeks and nothing might be said about my race. Um, But then maybe all of a sudden I could have two or three things just casually flown through Mm. within, you know, a matter of minutes. Right. Um, So I don't think they understand that, wow, I was just triggered or maybe casually dehumanized, which probably sounds dramatic to right. them. Um, but when it's happened so much in all these different layers through media, through politics and laws and policies and through schools and education and um, and then our personal experiences, um, we've, we've heard a lot of negative messages about ourselves and then these things just come up and they reinforce those things and they don't always understand what that can do to you in that moment, right? Right. Um, so I think there that's a piece I think we could build on our compassion, and it's only going to help us be more compassionate and help us better serve our patients as well, in my opinion. So, 100%. I, I appreciate you sharing that. And, yeah. yeah, it is different. And, again, like you said, Adoption in the way that we talk about it right now has been so normalized that people don't understand or realize that that experience, that identity, which we don't really consider an identity because it's like you were adopted and then that's the end of that story. Like you have other like we're both Asian. um, You are a woman, female, gender, genderized um, like we have different identities too that are also marginalized and people are like, well, you should be worried about those identities and not necessarily because we don't think about adoptee as being an identity. And so it's like hard to have compassion for something that we don't, we don't have a, the idea of the foundation of understanding, Oh, this is something that affects us every day. Not just like internally, but when we're at work, like when we're at school, there are a bunch of different ways. And so if we can't build that compassion, build empathy towards that, and if we're not validating it as an identity, it makes it so much harder for us as a community to get taken seriously, to be validated 
in all of that as we try to navigate these spaces. So I appreciate you naming that because I think it's super important. Um, and it starts with like our kids and where what they're learning. And it starts like from that education piece. Mm-hmm. Um, as we come up on time here and as we start to wind down, for who have you learned from, you talked about like there are, all different types of like parenting resources out there now. Who have you learned from or who are some people that stick out in your mind uh, that you're like, oh, yes, this is somebody that I'd love to share with other people who are parents now or getting ready to become parents. Like, who are some of those folks? Oh, gosh. Um, Dr. Becky Good Inside is one. And there's some specific podcasts that I highly recommend. Um where she's on and there's one, a different podcast where Rachel Forbes is on and um, talking a lot about internal family systems, talking about attachment. Those are all, have all been really good uh, resources, I think for, for what I've been looking for. Um, And then of course I I would like to mention um, this podcast called, um, what is it called? Labor of Love. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yes. So there's not a ton of episodes out there, but they are really discussing parenting from the adoptee perspective. And that has been amazing. They have amazing guests on there as well that have already um, been through several parenting challenges, I think. So you should check those out if you're interested. Amazing. Well, we will have all of those shows or all of those things, Dr. Becky Goodenside and Labor of Love linked down here in the show notes. Lauren, I really appreciate you coming by, having this conversation. I'll also have your episode that we had uh, you on for the John Chi Show linked in the show notes if folks want to dive into your story a little bit more. Um, Two more questions for you. This first one is a bonus. Um, What is your favorite thing about knitting? (laughs) And or you can you can do an either or situation here. Or what is the biggest misconception about knitting in the knitting community? that you want to dispel? Ooh, I could probably answer both. One, uh, I love knitting because it is creativity. And um, I love talking about like art versus craft. And I think like art is part of all of our humanity. It can be not just physical arts, but musical, writing, whatever. But um, so I feel passionate about just feeling creative. I think capitalism makes art, our idea of what art is, um, very specific, Mm. but I think, gosh, just making or doing or finding that creative piece inside of you that lights that fire is, uh, it's huge, huge, or it can be. Um, biggest misconception is probably that we're all old grannies. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I'm probably working with like scratchy, icky yarn, right? Sure. But no, it's like hips, speckled, bright colors sometimes, uh, different shapes, styles. Like, yeah. There's a whole like underground, <laughs> underground knitting community. That's not really underground. You can sure. find it, but you know, you, you can, yeah. I like that. And I think since the pandemic, like so many more people were at home and all these YouTubers just went at it yeah were you knitting prior to the pandemic oh yes okay yeah yeah Yeah. i think we need to get emily going too (laughs) maybe we'll see i don't know if she i don't know if that's something up her alley maybe it is we'll see um for folks watching on youtube lauren is wearing one of her own knitted cardigans 
already. So can people get your, okay, this leads into my next question or the last question, but can people buy the stuff that you knit? Do you sell your stuff? I do not. Okay. That's so. where I, I talk with my husband too. He's also an artist and like, I have so much more freedom by not selling anything sure. as the artist. Oh, and you just talked about, okay, this is going to make the episode go on way too long. So <laughs> I'll, I'll briefly talk about it. You talk about art versus craft. Is that like part of that delineation between like art and craft? Like art is like freedom is crafting slightly different. No, I think, I think these terms, we could go deeper into the patriarchy and ah, that okay. probably have delineated our idea of what art. Like you said, capitalism yeah, specifically. Right. And by not selling, you know, you get to be free and what it is you create, right. what it is you do with it. Yeah, you're not catering to an audience yeah. that you need to sell to. Okay. I like that. I love that answer. All right. Well, last question. How do we, how does our audience here best support you this month moving forward? How do we connect with you to learn more about what you do? And how do we not buy your knitting material? <laughs> I would say um, listening to other adoptees, taking some time this month maybe to self-reflect on I ideas you've had and perceptions you've had about adoption and just keeping an open mind to different experiences. Um, and yeah, I don't know if you want to learn to knit, uh, hit me up and I'll try to help you out. All right. Get, get you into that underground knitting community. <laughs> um, is there anywhere, do you mind if people follow you? Oh, or? sure. Yeah. Ravelries, R-A-V-E-L-R-E-E-S on Instagram. That's probably the best way to find me. But I feel like lately it's only, um, other adoptees that are my new followers or random accounts that I think might be bots. <laughs> okay. Those bot but, accounts yeah. are too much. A hundred percent. But right. feel free. I'm, I'm there sometimes. Perfect. All right. Well, we will definitely have all of that linked in the show notes. Lauren, thank you again for joining me here on the show. Um, we've had conversations offline about all of this stuff, I feel like, in one form or fashion. So it means a lot to come on here and be able to share this with this slightly different audience yeah, I'm um, than on the other podcast. Um, so I really appreciate it. Yeah. Um, everybody else, you know, you can find all the links to everything that we just talked about, including the podcast, including... Everything else, I'm forgetting now everything that we talked about in the last 38 minutes. But you can find the links to all of those things in the show notes here. Shout out to the video guy, Tor Messer. He's walking around in the back. Shout out to Soundspace and Lightbound Studios for the space to be able to record the show in. Um, if you want to support us and you want to support the show, you can leave us a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts. And make sure you subscribe to our weekly newsletter. That's where you're going to get everything up to date staying up to date on what's happening here on the show what's happening in my own personal life what's happening across the world that has to do with conversation piece um if you're a paid subscriber you will also get access to our weekly companion podcast conversation notes um having a really good time recording those especially diving into specific topics that we talk about on each of these episodes that come out on mondays uh last but not least if you do want to just chat about anything that you've heard about here on this episode on any other episode hit us up on ig at conversation pod piece or hit me up directly at patrick in the world and listen to adoptees listen to adoptees this month listen to adoptees all year round we're going to be back with another episode next week. So until next time, I'm Patrick Armstrong, and this has been Conversation Peace. Thanks, Lauren. Thanks. Thanks for having me. <laughs>